Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. Good morning. Um, we're going to be uh, continuing our series here in the book of Ephesians, and uh, we're going to be hitting Ephesians 3 this morning. And this is the, uh, this is the end of the first half of the book that kind of, or first third of the book, whatever way you want to look at it, that establishes who we are in Christ. And then the rest of the book is going to deal with the practical applications of, of that. Um, I've told you a couple of stories in the past that I, I got from this guy named Rob Long, who's a, a Hollywood screenwriter. And uh, he, he tells a story of this one time he was, he was in the middle of writing a screenplay. He runs out of copy paper. So he goes down to the stationery store that's close to him that he's been patronizing for the last seven years. And he goes in there and he grabs a ream of paper, brings it up to the front, and there's Edgar. Uh, Edgar is like what is people call like a developmentally challenged guy who works at the store. He's been working there ever since Rob was going there. And they always kind of make small talk like uh, Edgar will say, did you get everything you were looking for? And Rob will go, yes. Uh, here's where you put your card. You know, this day, uh, there's like, Edgar points to this little pink stripe that's across the logo of the paper. He goes, pink, pink. And uh, Rob Long goes, yeah, yeah, it's, it's pink. You know, it's a nice little pretty pink st uh, stripe there, yeah. And Edgar goes, pink. And uh, he goes, uh, Rob says, yeah, and that, that cup over there, there's a beautiful blue. That's blue, and I like that yellow wall there, yellow too. So he gets his paper, comes home, puts it in the... You know, puts it in his printer, and opens it up, puts it in his printer, and he realizes it's pink paper. The pink wasn't a decorative stripe. It was actually purely informational. He turns the ream over. There's a big thing on the back that says, hot pink. So he kind of sheepishly goes back to the store, and he's hoping Edgar won't be there. <laughs> and, but there's Edgar, and Edgar pulls out this ream. He goes, this is white. And uh, Rob Long thinks to himself, who actually is the developmentally challenged person here, right? And haven't you had moments like that where, you know, you thought, you know things, you got it all together, and then you realize how little you know, and it's like, well, you see everything in a different light. You even see yourself in a different light. And, you know, that's kind of what happened, you know, we can see as we read this chapter 3, was Paul's experience uh, that kind of comes through loud and clear and uh, really the result of that is that we're going to get some insights into this question that I think every one of us uh, really asks at one time or another and maybe a lot in our lives. And the question is, how can I say no to bad stuff and yes to what I need to do? I mean, it's like in our lives, there are times where we just realize there are habits that are no good for us. And these things are you know, dragging us down, diminishing our lives, and if we could just break these bad habits, it would be awesome. Or it might be something as serious as like a, an addiction that is like holding us in chains, so to speak, and keeping us from the freedom that we know that we ought to have and that other people seem to walk in. Or maybe there's just some things that we need to do. We know like, man, if I could just start doing that thing, or, you know, if I could just do these things that I know I'm supposed to do. I, I would be so much happier. I would be so much more fulfilled. Life would be so much better. I would feel like I'm, 
I'm on the right road. And I think we're going to see some real answers, some real answers to this question that I think all of us deal with in one way or another. So how did Paul find the answer? Paul had an apocalyptic moment and uh, a radical assessment of himself based on that apocalypse and then a realization of the supernatural help that's available. We're going to see that as we go through this chapter. Um, first of all, we want to, I want you to see Saul's original self-assessment. And I call him Saul here because that was actually Paul's given name. You know, that, he wasn't born Paul. He wasn't given that name by his parents. He was given the name Saul. And that name Saul is kind of significant if you think about it, just because of the way that he looks at himself. And he says this, uh, this is back in Philippians, a letter written, I think, right around the same time Ephesians was. He says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. He's going, I had the best pedigree, you know, understanding that he saw himself as like huge in the, in the Jewish nation and, the, and the, religious, the religion, the identity that he had there. And he goes, I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. You know, one thing that I think we know about the Pharisees is that these guys were experts. I mean, they had really looked into the Bible. They, they knew all this stuff. They knew more than the average guy, and they weren't afraid of telling everybody how to live. You know, they were kind of like the first century uh, CDC, right? <laughs> CDC knows more than all the rest of us, right, about everything. And they're not afraid to tell, this is how you ought to live. This is what you ought to go. Here's how you got to dress. You know, this is the way it ought to be. Right? And that's the way Paul was. He goes, I was wise. I knew all this stuff more than the average guy. And then he says, I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. I mean, you can just see him. He's going, I proved myself in so many ways. You know, I shunned those people who were like outsiders. I, you know, I was just thinking about this this week. I, this uh, teacher said, you know, he said, um, or this, this guy was talking to one of our staff, and he said, uh, how are things going with your, your adult kids? You know, this, this guy has a couple of kids who are grown up, have left the house, and he's going like, I don't know. I don't know how they're doing. He says, well, aren't you in contact with them? He says, I have not heard anything from them for the longest time. He said, it kind of all went back to last Thanksgiving. We got together, and we were talking at the Thanksgiving meal, and we started talking about politics. And as we, you know, we had a real civil discussion. And then they left, and then after that, I didn't hear anything from them. And I've written them, I have called them, I have texted them. He said, I just wasn't getting anything back at all. I was really worried. He said, I finally said, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's going on? And I got back a one-line or one-sentence email. It said, because of your conservative political feelings. We no longer consider you our father. Yeah, it's almost like we got to prove how correct we are and how right we are by shunning you and other people who don't feel the same way that we do. And that's the way Paul was. And he said, I even went, you know, so far as to harshly persecute the church. So he just tried to make life miserable for anybody who like disagreed. He would he was out there canceling them out and throwing them in jail and, and even leading people to die. 
And he says, as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I mean, it was every little thing, all the parts of that ritual, uh, you know, procedures and everything. I mean, if you invited him to a picnic and you had brats on the grill, he would say, I'm going home. You know, I don't want to be anywhere near this stuff. You know, I don't want to be... I, you know, he'd follow all the sacrifices. He was like to the letter of the law on the Sabbath, all that kind of stuff. He had achieved. He was like what you would call in the gangster movies, a made man, right? He had risen to the top by doing everything right, and nobody messed, nobody messed with Paul, with Saul, as he called himself at that time. Just reminded me of this book that I, I'm reading right now called Snowblind. It's a memoir, a true story, about this guy that you're seeing in a picture there, William Johnson. He was shot in a random shooting, and it severed his optic nerve. And as a result, he's blind, he's, and he's blind for life, right? And the whole book is about how he learned to cope with this and all the skills that he had to, had to pick up. And I keep, as I'm reading this book, I keep thinking, well, is he going to talk about times when he ran into trees or, you know what I mean, just had problems or was vulnerable because of it. But the whole book is about, yeah, I got through the remedial courses you know, in eight months instead of the 12 months everybody else had. And I did this, and I did that. And I got this, like, new grill that was really complicated. They delivered it to my house, and I put it together without any help. And he's just bragging, you know, through the whole thing. And, you know, good for him, right, that he did so well. But it's the same attitude Paul had. Paul was, I was a religious achiever. I made it happen. You know, I did everything that I needed to do. I got it done, and I did it my way. And then came the apocalypse. Now, an apocalypse, you know, whenever we think of that word, right, we think of, like, disaster, catastrophe. But actually, the word literally means revelation. It's like an insight. Like, all of a sudden, you see things the way they really are. The reason I think we, we've kind of, that term's kind of devolved into catastrophe is that was the original title of the book of Revelation, right? And in Revelation, there's all kinds of you know, disasters and catastrophes as the judgment of God falls upon stubborn people who will not repent. And so we always think of it in those disastrous terms. This was a great apocalypse that, that Paul had. He had a revelation that changed his life. And he says in Ephesians 3, verse 3, as I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. As you read what I've written, you'll understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. So it's like God's got, I got a new thing that's going to be going here. And this is God's plan. Both the Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. See, up to this time, Paul had thought, you know, there's this Jewish ideology here, and if I can keep working at it and getting good at it, then I'm going to earn the favor here of God. And all of a sudden, Paul goes, oh my goodness, this is what it's really been about all along, is that it's a family relationship and God is inviting the whole world, not just the Jewish nation now, but he's also adding non-Jews, and he's going like, I have an invitation for you to join my family. I have, and I have this family feast, and I want you all to be part of it. And what you're going to get is not wages. 
It's not like you're earning something. You're getting an inheritance. An inheritance is, is something you just receive, right? And you receive it because somebody died. And he's going, the death of Christ has given you an inheritance, and it's all yours if you'll just accept my invitation to come into my family. Both are part of the same body, and both enjoy the promise of blessings. So you know what a blessing is? Somebody just gives you something because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. And so all of this idea of like I've earned it and I've achieved it and I'm doing all the right stuff, and, and he's going like, no, I, I can have this gift that comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ. I can be part of God's family and share in this, this feast. It's a family relationship. And Paul even goes so far in verse 10 to say God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom and its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. We sometimes think, oh, we're part of this church, this family of God, and we're just a little part of the world, and then there's the rest of the world. And God goes, no, this is a central thing in the whole universe, is the church. It's the family of God, and everything else is just like part of being benefited by it, and they're just like seeing the way things really are by looking at us. And even the invisible authorities, where he talks about the angels and even the demons, and even Satan is going like, whoa, what's this about? And it scares him to death, really. That's what it says there. The church is the center of God's plan for the universe. And so Paul had to reassess himself in the light of God's plan. And... Um, First of all, and that's, you can see it right away in this chapter where he talks about himself in verse 1. He says, when I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles. See, Paul was literally in jail when he wrote this chapter, but he's also going, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. You know what a prisoner is, right? You got no rights. It's yes, sir, no, sir. You do what they tell you to do. And that's, that's your life, right? He's going, yeah, I'm just a, the humblest of all the servants. I'm a prisoner of Christ. Assuming, by the way, you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. So he's going, I'm a prisoner, and my job is to serve others, not to compete with them, not to show how, how good I am, but basically to serve them and here extend the grace to them. And he says in verse 8, though I'm the least deserving of all God's people. I used to think that Paul was just like exaggerating there just to show how humble he was. But I don't think that's the case. I think he really, really believed this. He's going, I'm the worst. He says, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. See, I think when Paul looked at his life, he's going, oh, look at the stuff I did before. This was my family and I didn't even know it. And I killed some of them, and I hauled some of them to prison. I destroyed some of their families. I did all this damage. Oh, I feel so bad about it. I felt like truly filthy as a result of that. I mean, haven't you ever had times like that where you've looked back at how you've treated somebody or something you said, or maybe it was the way you acted, and you could just see the hurt on their face, and you just cringed about that? 
I mean, there are moments that I think back, and I think back to times when I was a young teacher and some of the stuff that I said to kids, and I go like, oh, man, how could I have done that? And and then I, I think about the way I treated my grandfather when he was living at our house when I was like in, you know, in high school and stuff, and I go like, oh, you know? And you just feel like a dirtbag sometimes. And that's the way Paul felt. And he's going, yet, even though I was a worse there, he gave me that privilege. I mean, he's going like, wow, God is willing to use even a guy like me. I go like, yeah, I, I take great comfort in that. That as flawed as I am, and, and you can think of the same, as flawed as you are, he's going, yeah, I want to use you. I want to give you the privilege of working for me. I'm willing to overlook your flaws, and we're going to move on in this family, and, and, you're, and you can serve me. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. And so please don't lose heart because of my trials. I'm suffering for you, so you should feel honored. See how before he was the guy who was the perpetrator, and now he's the perpetrator or whatever you want to call him. You know what I mean? He's the guy who's getting hated on and, and getting beat up. And, you know, there are Gentiles who are hostile to him. There are Romans who are hostile to him. There were Jews who are hostile to him. And he's going like, you know, this is an honor uh, for the people I'm suffering for. It's like, yeah, this is what a, a servant who is doing the riskiest of all the, jo- of all the jobs and you know what, Paul, one of the first things Paul did after he had this apocalypse, this revelation, he changed his name. And that name Saul basically means like an answer, answer to prayer. So before that time, he was like, God's, I'm God's gift. I mean, that was the name he was given. He goes like, you know, don't call me that anymore. Call me Paul. And Paul means literally in Latin, which was the language of the empire, small. It's like my wife said, you know what? It's kind of like he calls himself Dinky. You know, just call me Dinky. <laughs> I'm just little. I'm just a servant. I'm just a humble servant right here. So he's going like, wow, this is like, things have really changed in my own mind. I was a religious achiever, Paul would tell us, and thought of myself as God's gift to my religion. But now I've become a humble recipient of God's grace and a grateful member of God's family. Isn't that what we are? And, and praise the Lord for that. Now, what's, uh, oh, I just wanted to use this example here. Uh, John Stott was one of the greatest Christian teachers of the 20th century and 20, early 21st century. And um, something happened to him when he was about 80. He was like, it was a Sunday morning, and it was about 8 a.m., and he's getting ready, he's getting dressed to preach a sermon at a big church in London. Big deal, right? And he falls and he breaks his hip. And he's lying on the ground. And he starts crying. And the crying isn't uh, because of the pain that he's feeling, nor the fact that he can't move and he's got to wait for somebody to check up, where are you? But the crying, the tears he was sharing, uh, was shedding, was because he thought, you know what? I've been independent my whole adult life, and now I'm going to have to have people like help me and they're going to help, have to help me in the bed and out of bed. I'm going to have to be helped to the bathroom. Somebody's going to have to feed me. I'm going to go through this long recuperation, and I can't be independent. And, the, and he just had a tough time during the recuperation. And this one time, his nephew Rico came over to see him, 
And a nephew, uh, he said to his nephew, Rico, he said, Rico, I've not been godly coping with my broken hip. I've been irritable and bad-tempered. Would you please be my chaplain and pray that the Lord would forgive me? And he just had to surrender this, I need to be independent to the Lord. And he realized when he did that, first of all, he had more peace about it. But secondly, he realized that's what it means to be a believer, doesn't, isn't it? We're actually dependent on God. That's, I mean, you know, I, I'm going like, yeah, I can handle all this. I can drive home. I can do all this. I can do that. But the reality of Jim Fenske and your reality, too, is that we're really dependent on the Lord in, in all so many ways. We never realize it until all of a sudden we're kind of struck down, right? We're brought to our knees or we're like my nephew who is like, 40 years old, and all of a sudden they go like, yeah, that soreness in your arm, that's, you got bone cancer. You know, and it may have spread to your lungs. You know, and, and here he was, you know, he's got this successful real estate company, and everything's going, beautiful kids, and all of a sudden he's facing this whole thing out of nowhere, right? But that's, our, that's all of our situations, that kind of dependence. Now Paul concludes the chapter by talking about four surprising advantages of being God's dependent. These are things that all of a sudden he goes like, you know what, I want you to have an apocalypse here. I want you to realize what you've got now just because you're in God's family and you can depend on this mighty God. And the first one is unconditional acceptance in God's family. So he says, and this I'm going back to Ephesians 2, but I wanted to show this to you. In those days you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you didn't know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you've been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. So it isn't like we're on the fringes here kind of hoping that we can stay from falling, but he's going like, you're close to me. The Lord says, you're close to me. Um, there's a book that uh, Andrew Ferguson wrote called Land of Lincoln. And he's talking about just stories of regular people like you and me in America. And he, was, he's, he has a story in there where he met this couple in Chicago. Uh, it was a, a couple, a, a middle-aged couple who had uh, immigrated from Thailand. And they had a little uh, Thai restaurant there not far from a Jewish neighborhood. And uh, these people said, you know, when we came to America, especially here in Illinois, all we hear about is Lincoln. You know, if you've been to Illinois, the license plates say Land of Lincoln, right? You come in on the Skyway there, and it says, Land of Lincoln, you have entered Illinois. And they go like, we must find out who this Lincoln is. So they did some research, and they go like, this Lincoln, he's a great man. I mean, he freed the slaves. He said everybody is, is equal. This is like a god. So they got a statue of him to put up and made a shrine for him in their restaurant. They got this back in this corner, and they said, yes, every day we put out a meal, a new, a new meal every day for Lincoln. You know, I think it's part of like Eastern religion many times. So, and they go, it's the whole deal. I mean, it's appetizers through entrees and even dessert. Every, but they said, but no pork. And Ferguson goes like, why no pork? They could, oh, Abraham Lincoln, obviously Jewish. That would be totally inappropriate to have pork. <laughs> 
And I thought, you know what, God bless these guys. But you know what, that's the way we kind of all are. We, gotta, we always kind of figure, even if we know a lot about the Lord, we go, like, i, I got to earn his favor, right? So i got to make sure I'm, I'm doing it and, and just make sure I stay in good graces with him or so I don't get booted. And it isn't that way. He's going, you are near to me, the Lord says. You're near to my heart. I know you. I know your flaws. You know, you're, I, I am accepting you. You're, you're near to me. And you, not only that, but you have personal access, the Lord says to me. He says, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I'm suffering for you, so you should feel honored. He's going, you can come right to me. Uh, you know, we don't have to go, we don't have to have the pastor, you know, t- pray for us so that we can actually get into God's presence or go to the saints or anything like that and go right to God. We're that close. Personal access. And it's not only that, it's like immediate access. This was in the Wall Street Journal this week. Need to call an airline? Your whole time will be approximately one zillion hours. I don't know if you've had experience with calling airlines recently. I haven't, but... I tell you, I hear it's a nightmare. That one of the stories they had in there was a 20-year-old Michigan student who her flight got switched by Delta um, because, I don't know, they're ha- having to shuffle their schedule. So it was a family vacation, and she ends up on a flight that's uh, many hours before the rest of her family gets rebooked on a different flight. So she calls Delta, and they go, like, your approximate wait time is 5 hours and 59 minutes. Well, she's going, I got to get this done, right? So she, you know, she's on hold. She puts it on the speakerphone and she's waiting. And she goes, I got to stay awake. So in case this guy comes on, I can't be asleep. Uh, and it actually took eight hours till they finally, and, and they could take care of it real fast. She said the highlight of the whole eight hours was halfway through, she had a bowl of Fruit Loops. And, uh, but she said, I spoiled it by putting too much milk on it. <laughs> but, you know, it's like, don't you sometimes think, well, you know, if I got a need and I, I call on God and everything like that, is he really hearing me? God goes, you got immediate access to me. You are first in line. No wait. Now, my answer may be something like that may have a little bit of waiting to it, right? But you got through to me. You did, you know, and it isn't going to be like the airlines right here, but immediate access his ears are always open to you and me and our needs. And what's cool is boundless favor from God is the third thing. And he's, uh, Paul says, and may you have the power to understand. You know, he says, I want you to have an apocalyptic moment here to get this. As all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. Don't you love that? He's going like, this is so big. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully. We're never going to get how much he loves us. Then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Man, if we could grasp that. Um, This is uh, this month's calendar, right? And I circle that date there because, like you probably heard in the prayers, like my daughter-in-law, Kat, gave birth last night. They said, we got to do it now because you're bleeding quite a bit. And so she, you know, the, the boy is seven, we don't know his name. But anyway, he was five pounds, 10 ounces, which is pretty good for seven weeks premature, right? But anyway, they had originally said, we're going to do this on the 20th, on Monday, right? Um, because that's when you'll be 34 weeks. 
And then they, then they came back and they said, oh, we miscounted. It's actually, you'll be at 35 weeks there, and we can do the 34 weeks a week earlier. But instead of putting it on the 13th, which would be a week earlier, they put the thing on the 12th, and they, they have to do, had to do surgery on CAD afterwards. They knew they were going to have to do it. So they had to have a whole team of doctors. So they go like, we're going to do this on the 12th. We'll have our whole team of doctors. So I asked CAD. I go like, hey, Kat, how come they're going to do this on a Sunday? I mean, that's t- not typical for a whole team of doctors to want to do surgery then. He said, well, they were originally going to do it on the 13th, but they were afraid of doing anything on the 13th because it's the number 13. Now, these are the same guys who go like, we must trust the science, but we're afraid of the 13th, you know. So, and I'm thinking, how many times don't we get into this idea of luck, Right? I mean, where do we get that? I mean, luck is a pagan concept. Well, whoa, good luck, good luck. What does that mean, right? I mean, I, I finally realized, wait a minute, it isn't about luck. You know, when, when Doug blesses us at the end of the service, he'll say, the Lord bless you and keep you. That's from Numbers chapter 6, and it says there, if you bless people in my name, they will be blessed. So when I, I'm going like I want something good to happen to somebody, I'll say, God bless you, because that has weight. That's real. Good luck. I only say good luck to people when I'm insincere. Like if Steinman goes like, hey, you know, Michigan's going to beat Ohio State this year, I'll go like, good luck. <laughs> you, you hear what I'm saying, you know? So I think we need to start thinking in terms of the fact that God's got this boundless love for us, the big blessings, and let's, let's operate in that instead of just this realm of, of luck, right? And keep that in the you know, forefront of our minds. He's on our side. And finally, it says there's a supernatural power in us. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Paul goes, I want you to have this apocalypse that God is going to change you from the inside out. He will empower you from the inside through his spirit, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will go down into God's love and keep you strong. That's the answer to that question about how I can stop doing the bad and I can start doing the good is that God is at work in me, changing me little by little from the inside out. And I'll give you an example of this. This is a picture of our boys' bathroom at Lutheran West. I took this on last Tuesday. Uh, so it's a current picture of the boys' bathroom on the second floor. And um, years ago, we had a student named Artie who was probably the strongest kid in the school. Uh, he could bench press more than anybody else. He was a tight end and a linebacker on our football team, MVP that year. And uh, uh, Artie was in the bathroom, third period. I heard this from another student. And he said, yeah, Artie was in there. And there was this freshman kid, this little kid, who started hassling Artie and just disrespecting him and insulting him because Artie was wearing an earring. And Artie finally got tired of that, and he grabs this kid by the collar and slams him up against the wall. And this kid goes, oh, he said, I thought there was going to be some major violence here. And then Artie just, all of a sudden, he just let the kid down, and he walked out of the bathroom. So I see Artie later in the day. So he goes, Artie, I heard you had a little incident in a bathroom, uh, third period. He goes like, yeah. He said, that kid really got under my skin. He said, but 
uh, he said, I'm not that way anymore. And I let him down. He said, you know what happened later? I said, no. He said, I found out where the kid was in class. I got a pass from my teacher to go down there, and I knocked on the door, and I asked the teacher if I could see this kid. She, oh, sure. So the kid comes to the door, and they're out in the hall there, and Artie says, you know, you shouldn't have said what you said to me. You shouldn't say that to anybody. But he said, I want to apologize to you because I overreacted. Okay? Kid goes, okay. And he goes, <laughs> goes back into class. And I thought, isn't that awesome? Because I knew that if that incident had happened one year before, it would have had a different outcome. Because what had happened in the meantime, between the junior and senior years, probably at the end of his junior year, Artie had accepted the invitation from Jesus Christ to join God's family. And he accepted this, came in, and then he became, like you and me, recipients of God's blessings. And God was working in Artie's life to give him inner strength through his spirit. Artie didn't have the strength to control himself before. It's what the Bible calls a fruit of the spirit, right? So it's like all that hate and that anger and jealousy and lust and dishonesty and all this stuff that we were producing before is being changed into things like faithfulness and kindness and love and patience and self-control. And that was what was happening there. And so when we ask this question, how can I say no to bad stuff and yes to what I need to do? And we're going to need to know the answer to this question because in chapter 4 that Doug's going to be preaching on next week, we're going to be starting to hear all the things that God, hey, this is what a real believer is walking in. Here's how that life works. And I remember the first book I ever read after becoming a believer was Ephesians. And I thought, I can't do this stuff. And I, but I realized eventually God changed my heart, my attitude. It wasn't self-effort. It was like God doing his thing and empowering me to make those changes. And so Paul finishes on a super high note. And he goes, now, all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. You're going, I can never make these. Yes, you can, he says. It's more than you can even imagine that God is, is able to do with his mighty power at work. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I just can't uh, tell you enough and thank you enough for what you're doing in all of our lives. And this is such an exciting thing to, to read about. And I know that like last week at the picnic, Doug was, I could tell he was excited about Ephesians 2 and I've been, it's been such a cool thing, Ephesians, the book of Ephesians so far. So thank you for this apocalypse, this revelation that you've given to us about our true nature in Christ Jesus. And I pray that what we have read in this chapter would sink deep into our hearts and just reveal itself in our lives as we become that centerpiece in this world and preach by our very lives to the nations. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.